in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. Today, we have Andrew Jew. How's it going, everyone? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Andrew Jew uh, is a longtime friend of mine. We went to high school together. I call him Jewy, so might go back and forth with that. Uh, we, I don't know. We where do we hang out in San Francisco? Multiple like, cities for like one minute in Korea. Um, at- Literally, I think maybe like five minutes. I was studying abroad in the summer, and John walked up to me in this class, of which he was not a program of, and just sat down and said hello in the most casual way. And it's uh, yeah, perfect example of how John just enters your life and leaves, and you know, casual. It's weird. It's authentic. That's John. Wow. But this podcast is about you, Julie. So, uh, and uh, we've, we've been on a road trip together um, up the West Coast from mm-hmm. LA to Seattle. Uh, what else have we done? I don't We're know. New York now? We're in New York now. And yeah, uh, we can talk about whatever Julie does, data science, management stuff. Um, and we found out we live like, we work like two blocks away from each other. So no way. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh that's what we should start uh with. I, it's a new thing I've been doing. Maybe John does it too, but um for iPhone users, you know, you can just turn on find my friends with uh people in your life. And in the past I used to just do it with like, you know, my girlfriend, right? Cuz it's like a very intimate thing. But um I don't know, I've been doing it with more and more people and it's not like with strangers or people I meet once or twice, but you know, at this point I probably have like six or seven people I do it with and uh it's, it's actually very nice because you find out things like this, where I would not have known for a very long time, probably that John and I work a block apart and I just texted him and it's things like that lead to podcasts like this, but also, um, yeah, just like running into friends and other people. And, um, I don't know, I don't have anything to hide around where I am. So I don't know, putting it out there, it, um, aids in spontaneity and, and meeting up with your friends and, and knowing where they are. And it's, yeah, it's a nice check-in. Sometimes they can just be like, what's John up to? Oh, he's in upstate for some reason this weekend. Cool. And then, you know, you just, you just keep in the back of your mind, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, throwing it out there. Pro tip. Yeah. Uh, Joey, do you want to uh, introduce yourself to the world, the world of uh, six or seven listeners? Okay. Okay. Six or seven listeners, but they're all <laughs> friends of John and Hugh. So, you know, a very they're the coolest listeners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is actually a VIP audience. Um, yeah, I mean, my name is Andrew. Uh, like John said, I'm you know high school friends. Um, you know, right now I'm a data science manager at a, a legal tech startup called Entra. Um, you know, I just joined about a month and a half ago. I worked in tech for about six years or so. Um, prior to that, I you know was working in in policy and politics uh, in SF. Um, I don't know. I'm just like a SoCal guy. That's generally pretty curious. Um, you know, I don't know, John, what would I miss? Uh, you're really, stuff. you're really into surfing. You just got a surfboard. I did. Um, that's been uh, probably my COVID hobby that I've stuck to the most. Um, yeah, I, I am, I am into surfing. Um, it is a frustratingly difficult sport to get good at, but chipping away at it. Um, yeah, I like music. I like writing and reading. Yeah, he's also he's also a very just like he's gonna deny this, but he's a he's a smart human. Just just like 
good grades, can can get the work done, like knows how to work. I'm unlike unlike some other other of us, but two different kinds of intelligence. Mine is the uh, kind that you know Asian parents love to talk about, and <laughs> you know, it leads to good grades. But John has always been um, a much more well-rounded and yeah, you know, socially intelligent person. Whoa, that's a really nice. I mean, check out this Italian hat. I mean, it's so. the truth. It speaks for itself. <laughs> All right, that's enough for introductions, right? I feel awkward talking about that. Hey, we just have 55 more minutes to go. Five down. Here we go. That's awesome, actually. Um, all right, quick tangent though. That hat again, John, looking so good. Yeah. You said handmade in Italy. Yeah, it's cool. pretty. It's a pretty. That's a pretty cool hat. Yeah, um, a man. A man wearing a suit sold it to me, and. <laughs> I was, I was just like, cool. I, I Did you this. buy any other clothing in Italy? Because like, I feel like there's such a cult of like Italian tailoring, and I don't know if that's just marketing or not. You know? Um, no. I what happened was I went to Europe. I was there for two weeks, and as soon as I arrived, I lost my hat, mm. and I was <laughs> I was heartbroken. And I spent the rest of my time like looking for another hat that could replace it, and then. On the last day in Milan, we walked into a hat shop and it was like, it's like one of the oldest shops in all of Milan. And yeah, I, I put, I put one of these on and it, it just like felt really good. And I could tell there was like craft behind it. And they, they even had like, they even oh, wow. had like design on the inside. Oh, that's amazing. That's and, cool. I, and I was like, oh, that's really cool that they, they did all the little things to, to like make it really nice. And so uh, and then also inside there, there was this woman who she had a, she had like a bunch of like beautiful cloths and, and she walks up to us and she's just like, I love this store. And I was like, wow, <laughs> like, where did you come from? Uh, but I bought this hat and I'm very happy with it. And I wish I bought more for my friends as well. Like I feel like I feel like Jewy could rock it as well. I don't know. This is not the uh, type of hat. Looking good. It oh, styles. It yeah, works yeah. well. Styling. Yeah. It fits uh, John's outfit better for sure. <laughs> it's my big head better. I had to get a extra large, but this is not this is not the Italian hat podcast. I know. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> this, um, I'm actually curious about just. On a first thing, even before work and all of that, I'm sure people are interested on data science and going deeper because that's awesome uh, about surfing. Is there good surfing on the East Coast in New York City? I don't know much about this. It's not great, but it's serviceable. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely not as good as, yeah, the West Coast or California or, you know, a lot of other places. But um, yeah, it, it's it's out there in New York. You can go out to Rockaway and, you know, you catch the A, takes you there. If you have a car, there's a lot more spots in like Long Island or in Jersey. Hmm. Um, yeah, there, you know, there are waves. It's not going to be always super consistent, but, um, you know, if you want to get good at something, you got to stick to it. Right. And that means like learning to deal with kind of shitty waves and, um, that's part of the process. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, even if it's not amazing, like it's usually good enough and just being out in the water and in nature, um, even like new york city water <laughs> it's like right next to jfk so you see planes flying over all the time and um 
they're like projects that, you know, right in front of the water, but yeah, it's, it's a nice break. And, um, I don't know, it's like running in the park or something like that, except you're in water where it's a good, just break from everything else I do. Um, and yeah, it's just very fun. You know, that's, that's the main thing. And for sure, it's like much better in, you know, LA or other places, but I love it. So did you, you didn't surf before you were in New York? A couple times, you know, um, like very infrequently. And, uh, but it was really during COVID where I decided like, all right, this is going to be the thing I do. Oh, and right. I like, yeah, I think John came out with me a couple of times actually. And, um, yeah, we struggled together, but I decided to make more of a commitment of it. And yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome. Actually. There's like a small community out in New York, except in the summer when like, you know, everybody's trying it and it's, uh, actually, yeah, kind of annoying, but you know, like winter surfing in Rockaway is, um, actually awesome because you see the same like five or 10 people all the time. And yeah, like it's cold and, um, you know, it's like you're miserable somewhat, but it, it's like a real community. And that part is, yeah, like you have your own little secret sort of, um, and that part is cool about it. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's incredible. I was going to ask a bit about the community of it, but it sounds like it all happens organically and then you just kind of surf together and then probably, I don't even know what else, just go yeah, on. Yeah, just... I mean, um, it's like people that I, you know, it's not like I hang out with them outside of the water, mm. but I recognize them in the water and it's just a very like, um, I don't know, somebody like you see at the coffee shop regularly, you'll like shoot the shit with them and talk with them when you're there. But like, why would you, I don't know, talk with them or make plans outside? Like you can, but it's not that level of connection. Um, there was a guy in the winter, I haven't seen him in a while in the winter where um, we would just, you know, there are the days where the swell is good. So that's when most people go out, right? So it's not like you plan it. It just ends up being planned because that's when there are waves. And um I would see him regularly and we would chat and uh, we would do a thing where in the winter, I would always bring a thermos of hot coffee. Cause it's like after surfing, you know, it's one of the best things to take. And this is in the morning before work. So like, it's my thing. And um, wow, he smokes cigarettes. So we would always like, I would give him some of my coffee and he would let me bum a cigarette and I don't smoke normally, but it was a, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just a nice, like after surfing and you're in the winter and just at the beach and um, sharing a coffee and cigarette with, some dude i don't even remember his name you know <laughs> wow. it's like um all before work no way that's amazing <laughs> i'm hoping uh this this uh viewership stays small but i definitely uh yeah we'll we'll plan my schedule around the days i go surfing a little bit and uh you know push back morning meetings and you know stay <laughs> on. And, um, yeah usually i'm back home by like 10 30 or so and then shower clean the wetsuit and i'm online at 11 so, um, it's, oh, it's doable. Cool. So you work remotely and for the data science management? Uh, I do, uh, for my new company, I'm, um, it's like a hybrid. So I'm, I'm going to the office a couple of days a week and, uh, yeah, I actually enjoy being, uh, in person nowadays, at least, you know, a couple of days a week. Um, I think it's a good balance and I am like, I don't know, just more grounded and present with work stuff when I'm in an office and talking to people around me. Um, so yeah, for me, I think it's a good balance right now. Yeah. We, we've been trying to find that a bit more of how do you not just fully remote? I mean, Elon Musk kind of took it one direction very radically, but that balance does seem pretty healthy. Amazing. Do you work uh, remotely too, Hugh? 
Yeah, we're, we've been remote pretty much since we all started and we have been bit by bit trying to get like a WeWork shared space or something like that, but nothing very crazy. Our main crews in Mexico right now or Latin America and Brazil and stuff. So for me, it's not very, there's only like four of us in Arizona, <laughs> three of us. That's it awesome. I would 100% go to Latin America, wherever your team is to, I don't know work with them, but also hang out in Latin America. <laughs> right. I wish I was be, would be able to be more of a nomad. I can live there for a month or two and it's like come back and forth. Yeah. Are you going cool. next week though? Hugh? <laughs> I, that, that is a random last minute thing, but it's first time ever going on a, a trip like that for work. But yes, next week oh, I'll be. You? It's all remote, right? Yeah, no, just, you know, got to have reasons to actually go and work and be productive because we have designers that are spread out around Mexico. So they're not all in CDMX or uh, Ciudad de Mexico, right? And Mexico City. And so we're, we're hopefully having like a design summit or some type of like creative summit for us, whatever summit means, but, you know, trying to find reasons for us to do some team bonding, I guess. Have you been to Mexico City? No, first time, to be honest. Like I, I've never really, I've not even been to Rocky Point. It's been sad. I mean, I live on it on the border. What am I doing? I don't know, man. What am I doing? <laughs> Mexico City is beautiful. I uh, spent Stoked. a month there and uh, working remotely, actually. And uh, no way. Super cultural, super beautiful place. And um, yeah, stay longer if you can. Oh, I would love to. Uh, yeah, I'm there for about a week. And yeah, if you have, we'll stay on after well, this, I'll I guess. Send you or... a literal Google yeah. map with everything pinned. So, yes. yes. Yeah. This is it. We found the treasure. <laughs> and Hugh, while, while you're out there, it's not that far to go to New York City from there as well. <laughs> Dude, i do hope to figure this one out you're gonna be out though in like august right i'm leaving in october hugh october uh hugh introduced me to all his friends in the city and like i hang out with them oh, in new york yeah and then we're we're always just like Dude, when's he getting his ass out here? <laughs> Did you used to live out here or you just know a lot of people out here? Or just one one close friend. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people meaning one person. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, she so they don't live here. Oh. New York City, LA, uh, San Francisco, a bit of Austin now. Those are the main ones that steal my friends. So boo. Maybe I'm a bit of Portland. About, uh, yeah, your location. Did you grow up in Phoenix area? Like, yeah. it is a bit of a. Um, it's not a popular choice. Which it I is random, saying. very random. Know. No, born and raised, man. Like oh, sometimes oh. I ask, like genuinely. I don't. I don't want to say I'm conflicted, but you know, with the American history of taking over Native American land, and the natives were kind of now in their designated territories and or murdered now that i was born here i'm a native to arizona because i was born in arizona and it's like am i a native though <laughs> but arguably yes arguably no also we took it from mexico too like i was learning about all this from some of our other designers i was like oh this is an interesting thing to analyze <laughs> yeah native you can go back very far yeah Exactly. But for most intents and purposes, you're a Phoenix native. You were born and raised there. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, clearly you like it because you stayed, but you know, what is it about Phoenix that you think most people don't um, recognize or is like misunderstood? Um, it's actually, I think it's one of the fastest or biggest cities in America. It's 
pretty simple. It's just a, it's not got the basic, biggest downtown. So if you're looking for what a New York vibe, LA vibe, San Francisco vibe, big city, Chicago, Boston, you're not going to get it really. Phoenix is center downtown Phoenix, right? Is, is okay. Like there's some pretty cool stuff, some really rad uh, subculture and stuff like that, but it's more suburban. Everything's more sprawled out. A lot of people like Austin and greater Phoenix area right now, because you can buy a lot more land for your buck, quote unquote. And now it's, you know, the property has been going up a lot in the past two years. So it's a bit harder to buy that type of real estate at that price, probably up like 40 to 50%. And then with regards to just the sprawl, it's just a lot of urban sprawl, a lot of mom and pop shops, a lot of just ability to kind of have family. That's kind of my parents were in San Francisco previously, like as, you know, in a, renting an apartment or something before they moved here. And then they moved here 20 plus years ago, 30 years ago now. And that was because they could buy some more housing in the backyard and stuff like that. So you give and take for New York, small little box for so much versus something else, but not cultured as yeah, diverse. Jerry walked into my apartment and he was like, Hey, you want to show me your apartment? And I was like, here you go. Hey. Oh, I can see a bed. So that was the main reason why I assumed there was a bed, but yeah, that, that, that was the main reason why. I mean, I've lived in smaller apartments. You've seen my place in San Francisco and stuff. So yeah, compared to where we've come from in the past, this is still pretty luxurious. Oh yeah. I'm, uh, I'm actually interested in digging into that right now because, uh, because when we both graduated college, we, we both ended up in San Francisco and I was making $43,000 a year, like something like that. Julie, maybe a little more. Not much. <laughs> Same boat for everybody. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we would, we would hang out on weekends a lot. And like our idea of like going out was like eating a mission burrito. Like, because, I'm because sure. it was like the most food you could get for like, less than $10. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. Uh, and it opened up a lot of doors, but I'm also, uh, I'm also glad that we're where we are right now. And I guess we're older as well. So it's like, it makes sense that like there has been some career progression, but, um, yeah, I don't really have a question, but, but it's cool to see that we've, uh, we've like reflect back on it yeah we like moved a little bit up like as mentioned many times before like i lived in a closet um which was like the right thing for me at the time um still feel like we had a lot of adventures for sure for sure i mean um yeah yeah it was you know a lot less money but it never felt like overwhelmingly struggling you know it was just appropriate for the time i think and uh I don't know. I think I'm glad if some, if anything that I've gone through that, not that it was such a hardship or it's not like I went to war or something, you know, but it's, um, I, I feel like I would just be such, so much less grounded if I, you know, had, was in the tech industry basically, or like made the kind of, you know, salary I do now. Like it, it is, um, yeah, it's, it's still strange to me now. Like, you know, how comfortable financially I am now, which is, you know, not to say like I have a house or anything, but um, I can, you know, buy a surfboard and not have to think about it. Right. And um, I think it's a good level of grounding. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. There's something that actually has been pretty helpful for a lot of people, actually, especially like the Leisha episode. I just pointed another person who's looking into becoming a PM to Leisha's episode. I'm kind of curious as someone who's in the data science field slash, I don't quite know or understand exactly what you mean by data science manager and stuff. But if someone were, I know someone actually, and quite a few, a lot of people are interested in data analytics, data science. What is, what's a bit about your journey, a bit about the industry, a bit about that field uh, that might be helpful um, for anybody listening. You work in tech too, I'm assuming, Hugh? Yeah, I'm a I'm product designer. So growing out design teams here. D- director of design at gotcha. this company. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I you know, um, my background was in econ and, and poli-sci. And, you know, uh, you know, the first couple of years of my career, I was doing uh, energy policy mostly, right? And um, kind of like public policy consulting. And you know, um, that ranged from everything from just like, you know, the city is trying to finance a new hospital, right? And how are you going to find the bonds and do the financing for it? Um, you know, sometimes uh, police districts within a county, um, they draw their borders and lines and responsibilities based on population and a whole bunch of other factors. And, um, you know, how do you draw the boundaries to best optimize all these different parameters, which is on one hand, like a data thing, but also very political. Um, but a lot of it was also just like a electricity load forecasting. So trying to understand um, how much electricity people are going to use and how much you know clean energy we would need from solar, you know, hydro dams to match that. And um, just like a whole financial market that underpins this, but that was my background. So it was always like somewhat quantitative. Um, certainly like not like tech where, you know, the tools are a lot more outdated and there's a lot more bureaucracy, but, and I, I still very am like interested in policy and politics. I think at the end of the day, those are the problems that matter the most and you're working on, yeah, problems and systems that, that really matter. Right. Like, um, I don't know, unless you're working at a Google or Facebook, um, yeah, many companies aren't working at that scale and, um, for stuff that like, I don't know, has such a big impact in a physical way for uh, people. But, um, you know, at some point I just saw that, um, you know, it was quite bureaucratic, pretty slow. Um, I wasn't progressing, not necessarily, not just in my career, but um, wasn't having like the challenges and uh, opportunities to push myself. And um, I mean, frankly, like tech just seemed a lot more fun. And there is that kind of superficial level glamour that I think tech had. And, you know, now that I'm more established in it, I actually, one of the things I look back and wonder on was in some ways, I wonder if it was a false trap um, where I have, you know, um, certainly a lot more financial comfort and a lifestyle that I probably wouldn't have been able to afford continue working government. But um, I don't know, like tech perks and free lunch and free swag and all that stuff gets old very quickly. Um, And, you know, a lot of times I'm wondering like, all right, what am I actually like working on here? And it is pushing advertising. It is um, trying to, you know, change conversion up a couple of percentage points for a product maybe that I don't care too much about. And uh, yeah. And in government, I, I never felt that way. You know, I'd feel frustrated by how slow things were and, you know, how maybe um, there is a very real, there's a stereotype that's very real of, uh, certain type of government worker who is just there to cash in their check. You know, they, they've got their, 
um, pension and their civil service and the unions protecting them. And that is a real thing and uninspiring to work around. But there's also a lot of people who are very passionate and, you know, they're not in it just for the protection safety. But yeah, and, and there are people like that in tech as well. It's just a different uh, archetype, I think. Anyway, um, so I, I switched into tech, um, you know, kind of just worked my way through analytics and data science teams. Um, yeah, I've been at a fair number of companies now, and uh, I don't know. I mean, um, I mentioned some of my disillusionment, but at the end of the day, um, you know, what I think about data science and analytics that at its uh, heart and maybe at its most like noblest is um, it's about the truth, right? Which um, is something that, you know, has always been interesting. And even, yeah, like when I was uh, doing research, you know, something that I've always been curious about and, you know, trying to understand what really is happening and to kind of shed light on something and understand, um, you know, that's, I think, ultimately what's really at the heart of all this, right? And doing it through numbers and, and data and, um, yeah, making decisions off of it. And, you know, um, the job is not always about that, right? There's a lot of other things that get in the way, but um, yeah, at its best, I think that's what it's about. And that has always been very, um, I don't know, just a like worthwhile thing to pursue and uh, just curious to me, right? Like it's not just that work or through data, right? It can just be seeing something on the street and just trying to wonder like, all right, what's like really going on there? And just trying to understand something and you know, um, data is a very useful way of doing it. It's not the only way. I think um, uh, designers and researchers, you know, are actually um, a super important complement to what data does and uh, helps you understand stuff that data can't on its own. Um, but it's, you know, it's one way and um, intellectually interesting. Um, you know, right now and, and lately it's, uh, I don't know, people think data science and you think like crazy, you know, algorithms and models and, you know, um, very sophisticated statistics. And, you know, there is an element of that, but honestly in industry, a lot of it is much more about um, just being practical and pragmatic. And especially as a manager, I mean, I'm not involved in that as much lately, um, especially as a manager at a startup, right? A lot of it is just getting foundation set up, understanding, you know, what products are. Um, yeah, all of that. So I'll stop rambling, but in a nutshell, that's what I do. And um, yeah, that's how I spend my, my nine to six or whatever it is on a given week. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I think something that would be interesting is kind of how you were in the governmental, you know, work and then you transitioned. How did you make that transition? Did you do a bootcamp self-taught or just kind of work your way up from an intro job? I, I really just winged it. You know, I, um, <laughs> yeah, like moved back home and uh, to LA, there was um, just like personal reasons why I wanted to do that as well. And um, spent some time just kind of like, uh, yeah, you know, kind of retooling myself for the particular stuff that tech industry cared about. I um, had a brief like research fellowship at the University of Washington, um, which was kind of the intersection of um, data science and, and policy. It's called Data Science for Social Good. Uh, it was a wonderful program. I spent, yeah, like a little less than half a year in Seattle for it, but yeah, I don't know, like it, it did uh, 
let me use like the tech stack that um, tech companies tend to use, right? So, you know, instead of using Oracle, I'm in, I'm in AWS, right? Instead of uh, using old, like literally on-premise servers, I'm, I'm using, you know, EC2s and things like this. And um, from there, yeah, I just applied to a bunch of jobs, like got rejected from a bunch, was really, really fortunate and lucky to um, go to a company that I still think about, Honey in LA, which was, um, yeah, great place to learn and learn the industry, but also just um, great community. And, you know, at least before it uh, got acquired and got super, you know, corporate, just very genuine company culture, actually. And I, I think about how lucky I got actually in um, landing that as my first tech job. And, you know, and then, you know, that's what they say, like getting your foot in the door is the hardest. And after that, like, you know, recruiters start hitting you up and it's just about kind of um, learning the game to a certain extent. And uh, yeah, I mean, rest is history, I guess. I love it. And then the follow-up question of that is as someone who's a self-taught, got yourself into the industry and has basically slogged your way through with many mistakes, I'm sure, and learned on the way, what would uh, a very top of the mind, off the cuff, base skills or foundations that someone would should possibly learn or know or use or tool themselves with as you did now if you could tell yourself or your a younger sibling or a cousin someday you know what would you say to get into data science yeah to get into data science from zero um Just entry level i mean they're they're yeah like yeah. i'm not gonna say anything that is you know very unique compared to the many resources that are online um you know, it depends on what kind of data science you want to do. There is a, it's, it's pretty broad, but, you know, generally I would, I would say, you know, learn Python and SQL, right? Like those are the bread and butter. And um, I actually didn't follow that advice just because of um, the work I was doing at city hall, where I was working mostly in R, I was primarily a R and SQL person. And then um, yeah, learned Python later, but I think for sure, you know, um, if I could go back and tell myself to do something there, I think Python is industry standard. Um, and then from there, I would just say like, take it incrementally, you know, and, and solve like practical problems. Um, unless you really want to go like deep end and to be doing, you know, state of the art research, in which case, like you should be applying to graduate programs, not trying to get jobs in industry. Um, yeah, solve practical problems because like I've, I've pretty much, I don't know, I've taken coursework, you know, I'm, I'm in a master's program and whatnot, um, but most of the stuff that gets you into a job, which is where you do a lot of your learning and get paid to learn too, is off practical problems. And yeah, I mean, um, being under a deadline and, you know, having to produce something that will actually be used by other people is like a great forcing function to just learn under constraints and not get bogged down into details that don't matter. And um, yeah, just iterate off of that. Um, you know, at the same time, you don't like, industry tends to um, put you in a pigeonhole and keep doing certain types of things that you can do and you don't wanna get stuck there. So like um, off the job training, in my opinion, is also very important. There are people that don't agree and there are people who, you know, manage their uh, company and organization skillfully enough where they're always put in new positions where they can learn something on the job to which, you know, I commend them because that's, that's difficult for me to do all the time. And um, yeah, I don't know, like off the job learning, I think is just um, 
enjoyable in its own right. And yeah, if you, I don't know, want to honestly like um, do well in tech, you, there's always going to be that element of it, right? Like you're always going to have to learn something new and keep up. Um, so yeah, get comfortable with it. Awesome. Can you, uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the offbeat job training that you mentioned? Like, are you learning anything right now? Is it somewhat related or not related at all, at all to work? And then like, how do you choose what you, what you dive into? So currently I'm not really um, doing anything super structured for like work related stuff. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like uh, casually in, in a book club with some people um, where we're working through a book on, on causal inference, which is um, basically a field of statistical yeah, inference um, and is, is pretty useful for um, industry. But this is very like, I don't know, our next meeting is Sunday and I'll probably read this like, I actually don't even know when I'm going to read it. You know, I'm, I'm not very committed to this. Um, but in the past, like I, I, you know, partway through um, a master's program at Georgia Tech, which has been very useful and um, definitely, yeah, like expands my horizons to things that I wouldn't even do or face on the job, right? Like they're very uh, fairly low level, um, yeah, coursework, which is like great to see and just having, honestly, it's not even super practical necessarily, or it hasn't been in my experience, but it's like just great knowledge for the field that you're in. Um, so I do enjoy it. That's obviously a huge time commitment. Um, and I, I actually, COVID was great for this because I was stuck home and, you know, I, we all got into hobbies. And like I said, one of mine was surfing and the other one was just grinding through coursework because I was at home and I had nothing else to do. And um, now that we're out of COVID, I, I'm, I'm not really doing this. I just started a new job and um, I just don't have time to commit to all of this. And I've been wondering like when I'm going to actually get back on that horse. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, right now I'm just doing a lot of stuff outside of like work related stuff. And that's just, I don't know, me turning 30 and yeah, getting, getting old, I guess. Um, but also just like, I don't know. There are people who grind really fat for two or three years and get through the masters. And then they're like burnt out at the end of it and never want to touch this stuff again. And I don't know, I'm just kind of doing it more, casually where, um, some period of my life, I want to, uh, I'm more interested in that part. And then other parts like right now I'm, I'm not. Um, so that's my approach. Um, we'll see how long it takes me to actually complete this master's, but. Do you remember we took a Linux course together? I do remember that. Yeah. Um, it was a fairly BS course. It's but, amazing. Uh, yeah. Linux, uh, is, is very useful actually. Um, and I think I took a scripting course too that you didn't take. Oh, did you take that? I took the bash. Yeah. Oh, course. wow. It was, it was even, it was even <laughs> worse. Oh, it was it even worse of a class. But like, yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I probably retained something. Maybe. Yeah. It's all remote, uh, virtual. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. The program I'm in. Do you guys mostly talk about like career and, and, and tech stuff on this podcast? The three taglines is craft, community, and building meaningful careers. Okay. Um, do you guys feel like you guys have meaningful careers currently? Ooh. <laughs> How do you, what are your, what are your definitions for a meaningful career? Maybe this was covered in another podcast. And if it was, we don't have to rehash it, but let's, let's get into it. Fantastic. 
please be my guest. <laughs> uh, so the question was, do we have meaningful careers? Or maybe before is how do you guys define a meaningful career? Hmm. Very... Let me think for like 10 seconds. And here, if you have something to say, hop, hop right on in. Mm. A meaningful career and a few grounded metrics would be, for one thing, I always think about if you look in the mirror for five days in a row and you don't like what you're doing, that's probably not the best place to be in. So hopefully one can be in a career, for me at least, that I can grow in for many years, has a high ceiling cap for learning and growth. And whatever that means, learning and growth, it's different for everyone and their teams and how they grow at the company and or companies they go to. And then from there, what else is meaningful is um, feeling like the time isn't wasted. Hopefully, whether or not salary is comparable, higher or lower, whether or not someone has a better equity package or a smaller equity package or is a civil servant or some other type of nonprofit worker or anything like that. Hopefully there's deep meaning to the work that one does and or not. It doesn't always have to be like deep meaning world changing, but at least my goal is to at least feel like there's, if I'm at a company company that I'm getting a salary from, hopefully more than 10, maybe 50, 100, 200 people that are actually gaining some real derived value in their daily life that really provides a lot of value for them and just improves their day to days. And so a lot of that is very important. And then meaningful career also means good work-life balance to me. So these are some dimensions that I also really, really find are necessary or also burn out as uh, has happened many times. And with that, how does one stay happy and healthy, not just quitting and joining a new company every eight months or 12 months, like most millennials, they say, quote unquote, do. And how does one stay at something for multiple years or a decade even, or two decades, God forbid. And uh, what really are those metrics that causes one to say, Hey, you know, this is a really quality place for me. And I feel like staying and I feel like I'm providing value and Hey, maybe it's not always about becoming that super high titled, high salaried VP of something or whatnot, and cutting many people's legs down as you go or stepping on a lot of toes. So those are the ways in which I kind of see it. Just trying to find something where I feel content, feel like there's meaning and feel like there's good balance. Yeah. I mean, that ties in a lot with probably the community aspect. And um, that's something that I struggle with, or I'm not sure how I feel with in the sense that like, um, you know, jobs are a big part of our lives. So mm -hmm. your company and team, whether you like it or not, is going to be a big part of your everyday community. And um, there are lines you have to draw right between your personal and um, work life. But it's also not something that you always choose, right? When you interview with a company, yeah, sure. You'll probably interview with people like you know, your manager, um, people on your team and, you know, but like you are joining a much larger community and you don't always have a sense of what that community is like. And um, whether you like it or not, you know, that community and its culture will rub off on you. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I, I, this is tangential, but um, we all work in tech. Um, and something that I struggle with is um, it's very easy to fall into a whirlpool where you end up hanging out with more and more tech people. 
right? <laughs> and it's very easy, right? Because you share similar interests and backgrounds. There's this like mimetic, I don't know, force that drives you into like similar hobbies and it's just like compounds. And um, on one hand, it's wonderful because, you know, you have this like community of like-minded people and it's very similar. On the other hand, it's um, can get boring and it can also, I, I can't help but wonder like, yeah, it's not, it's not healthy either. Right. And um, I don't know, do you guys consciously think about that at all? Like, do you guys address it? Is it not an issue for you guys? I mean, I will say that a smaller percentage of my community is in tech than when I was in San Francisco. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, but that, that being said, a large part of my current community, like like people that I see in person work in tech or finance. And I also think about this because it's a, like, it's probably important to realize that my bubble is, is a, is a very like weird bubble and not at all representative of even like New York city, but like, or the rest of the U S and Yeah, I mean, like on on one hand, it's I guess it's kind of cool because people have career capital, like their work, they're like doing interesting work. Um, but on the other hand, it's I think it's easy to fall into a trap where you're disconnected from from people who who like don't fit that mold. And yeah, if you. I don't know if anyone has suggestions on ways to not fit that mold, then I'm happy to listen. But yeah, I guess, I guess it's tricky because it's like, it ties into everything. It ties into like the things you like to do. So it's like, Oh, let's go to a nice restaurant. And just by doing that, you, you already, you already eliminate like a lot of people that like would want to hang out with you or um, I don't know. Let's like, rent a car and go upstate and like stay in an Airbnb over the weekend. Like that's another thing. It's like time and resources. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that, that I live in a bubble and I hope to, I hope to bring more diversity in, in my community and I'm trying and I like, yeah, I hope to, uh, find other ways to like expand that so yeah yeah i think you bring up a really good point you brought up a really good point earlier andrew of how the companies we work at are also very diverse in their own ways but sometimes a bit depending on the size of them there it's just a different type of community and the different scale of community and you can meet lots of people and i think something regarding at least for me, individualized community at, at like my own micro level, it comes down to kind of the subject matter too, with which I bond or resonate with different people and uh, grow friendships with. So some people really like enjoying talking about one thing, or some people like enjoying talking about government, politics, or some others about theology, right? And philosophy and stuff like that. So it, it depends, I think, finding again it's not 
that I think it's more on like balance in a sense. It's very hard to do because it's easy. It's so easy to default to hanging out with X and Y people kind of more habitualized. And then as you were saying it for you, at least it sounded like sometimes it may get boring or something, not for you, but for anybody it kind of becomes habitualized and it lacks luster. But I think it's also about like the subject matter too, because I also realized, you know, studying X for X amount of, for a really long time, talking about tech or talking about code or deving or design or just product driven methodologies all the time does get pretty, nah, you don't want to do that when you go home all the time. But the other day I just watched a really great Netflix documentary or movie called the last, the two popes. And I was like the transfer of the previous Pope to the current Pope. And it was a really fascinating thing. And so I've always been pretty lucky there having a dad who's pretty deep in the theology and philosophy realm to kind of, you know, that, that open to other cultures, trying to learn on the free time, especially now when it becomes a bit more siloed and a bit more, you know, COVID brain where we're pretty cut off from a lot of community. How do we keep on growing culturally and diverse and diversifying our understanding and, and learning? Um, yeah. Like one of my good friends, he actually is really cool. He works for, is a developer for a government project that is trying to like analyze African nations' GDP products and whether or not there's going to be rainfall in X or Y place and whether or not they need more grain. And those, I don't know, I think you also find it on the projects you work on and all of that to say, yeah, you're, you're right on the head. Like where you work does drive a lot of community and culture and what you talk about people that you talk about as well on a micro level and how you balance that time for sure. I have a, I have a question for Chewy. So how do you, how do you think about longer term career? Because at this, at this point right now, you and us and a lot of other people are in a place where we we have a decent amount of career capital, we have a lot of options ahead of us, and uh, way more so than five years ago, we have a lot of freedom to choose the kind of work that we take on, uh, the kind of companies like that, and like the kind of people that we work with. And I know you just started at a legal tech startup, uh, but but. Like, do you think about this at all? And like, how, how do you like plan for it if you do? Mm, I will say that I um, plan for it less than when I was younger. And uh, I think that's for me, just from where I'm coming from, um, you know, part of my maturity where, you know, um, as when I was younger, like I really did have like a five-year plan and like a 10-year plan and, you know, um, it you know, like I would see where I wanted to be and work backwards, right? And that is a effective way of like managing projects and and you know working it. But I don't think it's actually very healthy or um, a good way of managing your life, right? And career you can think of as a project, or you can think of it as life. And I think thinking of it as life and leaving more room for spontaneity and unexpectedness is just first of all much more natural and leads to more. Um, exciting and satisfying um, spent, you know, waves using your life. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I don't necessarily have a five-year plan, right? But I, I know 
what's important to me, or at least what's important to me currently. And those are like guideposts in how I decide, you know, what I do next in my career and, you know, what I do in life generally, right? Um, fairly vague and abstract answer, but yeah, that's, that's basically how I approach it. So if you ask me where I see myself in five years, I, I have no idea. Like the obvious answer would be continue to work at a tech company, perhaps even this current company I'm at, um, you know, playing some sort of role, right? And I don't necessarily have a strong opinion on whether it'd be as an IC or continue as a manager or as a director. I think um, they all have their value and depending on where I am, like, yeah, it would be a good fit for me right now. I'm, um, yeah, just think managing teams is like a new, relatively new, interesting challenge. And especially, you know, I, I came from a much larger public corporate corporation and, you know, being a startup and seeing it grow a lot more is like a different set of uh, management challenges. And that's like really interesting to me. And yeah, I want to kind of ride this adventure, right. And see what I pick up along the way. But um, I don't know. I mean, there are other things that I don't have answers to. Right. And one of them is like my relationship with money um, where, you know, there are a couple of things that I decide, right. When I um, pick a company, you know, some of it is, you know, do I like the people I work with? Do I like the product? Right. Um, is there a decent culture, both in terms of like work-life balance, but also just in terms of actually doing work and collaboration. But one of the things also is salary, right? And um, it, it's uh, most recently through this whole process, you know, I didn't choose um, the company that had the biggest salary, right? Um, certainly I'm still very fortunate, um, you know, to have the salary I have, but I certainly, I, I didn't pick the company that had the least either. And in some ways it's a, it's a threshold. And if I think about the companies and places and roles that I could have worked at that are maybe like, extremely exciting and very intellectually and just like from a values point of view, very um, exciting to me. They are the ones that don't have uh, nearly the salary that, you know, the companies I work at have. And I wonder why, you know, because um, of course there's one thing to be financially responsible, save for a future day and everything, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a family currently. Right. And I think there's, um, I wonder sometimes about the idea of normalizing a culture where you um, respect more people who take lower paid jobs. And, and there's a whole argument to be said about like, you know, taking a lower salary, you know, in exchange for values or other things is, are, is corporations and capitalism, like screwing you over and taking advantage of you and, you know, all these fake ideals and, um, something to that, but, um, I actually don't know like how much money I need to be happy. And I have a sense that like, I could do fine with less and it's a, um, calibration meter that I'm still figuring out because, uh, yeah, I think it's like, we have a culture now where it's the bigger the number, the better. And that it's, it's that black and white and simple. And I'm not as sure, you know, I'm not as sure. Um, so that's something I'm not, you know, I don't have an answer to, um, probably, you know, Many people feel that way as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how I think about my career, um, where things go and yeah. Cool. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Um, 
yeah the uh the topic of relationship with money I feel like like there there are so many books written about it we could probably have another podcast episode about it and uh yeah a lot of like interesting stuff to uh dig up and uncover but we are at the uh end of our time and we ask all of our guests if you have any like words of wisdom or parting thoughts for our six or seven listeners um no just uh you know um try and be happy um you know always be learning and uh yeah i don't know these are just all fucking like truisms that everyone says i don't know <laughs> just uh yeah I don't know. follow me on twitter i say funny shit andrew j-u-e-y that's it i love it all right and with that <laughs> it'll be in the show notes below <laughs> andrew thank you so much for coming on to uh, the moon tea podcast man really appreciate it yeah i had a lot of fun hour flew by and it was nice meeting you Hugh. it really was it really was um yeah so with that that comes to the end of the first episode of our second season oh, yeah. of the moon tea podcast episode 53 i believe hey oh, your season one yo, yo, yo. 52 wow, that's a, a long season <laughs> so we took a two three week break and now we're back <laughs> john had a really great update to many things especially our booking system so we're getting there yeah you're, you're the first to use our booking system perfect i just <laughs> showed up but um yeah invite me back i uh, enjoyed myself so i'll, I'll come more prepared with topics that would be awesome yeah that would be really cool so anyone who is listening for the first time this is uh, the podcast or a podcast where we talk about craft community building meaningful careers if you ever want to get in touch to us with us you know reach out to us at moonteapodcast at gmail.com with that take it easy and see you next time bye guys peace, peace. <laughs>